0: Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. It's hard to pin down who exactly the first superhero was. Superman is, of course, the model for all superheroes who came after him, but he was not the first. Uh, Before The Man of Tomorrow debuted in issue one of Action Comics, a few other costumed crime fighters had shown themselves in popular media. For example, Lee Falk's The Phantom, the guy in the purple bodysuit and the magic skull ring, he predates the last son of Krypton by two years, appearing in comic strips in 1936. Uh, Then, of course, there's Zorro, the masked swordsman who hit the pulps back in 1919. Uh, The Phantom, definitely a superhero. Absolutely a superhero. Zorro, it's debatable uh he's definitely related to superman and other later cape-wearing crime fighters but pulp heroes like zorro and also the lone ranger and the green hornet they lack a certain kind of je ne sais quoi that makes superheroes super so we can't definitively say who the first superhero was but in this episode i want to propose one possible candidate ogan Bato Or the Golden Bat. He was a costumed, crime fighting man of action who had a bat suit, a skull head, and he predated the Man of Steel's debut by almost a decade. The Golden Bat, who I think is probably the first modern superhero ever. He thrilled thousands of Japanese school children, and he wasn't a comics character. Not exactly. But he was in a medium. ...related to comics. Ogun batos or the Golden Bats medium, was something called kamishibai... ...a Japanese term that literally translates to paper theater. Kamishibai was a storytelling medium popular in Japan in the early 20th century... ...and during the Great Depression, lots of Japanese men, and it was mostly men who did this... ...they turned to public storytelling accompanied with pictures as a way to make some extra cash. Just like how an ice cream truck will announce its presence with that distinctive, plinky rendition of The Entertainer, Kamishibai men, they announced themselves by clacking together a pair of wooden noisemakers, announcing to any kids, and possibly adults, that it was story time. And here's how it would work. The storyteller would stand next to a small box filled with illustrations, and gradually reveal new illustrations as the narrative demanded it. So maybe the Kamishibai performer is standing next to a picture of a hero doing one thing and suddenly the hero is doing another thing and another and another. These sequential illustrations were revealed with each beat of the story. The show, storytelling, accompanied by well-timed images, that was free. But like movie theaters, Kamishibai storytellers made their money selling candy to an eager audience. And this kind of words-and-pictures media, it had a long history in Japan, beginning with itinerant Buddhist monks who would often use illustrated scrolls while preaching to a non-literate populace. They would use illustrations to, well, illustrate the points of the various fables and stories and homilies that they would be presenting to a peasant audience— Uh, Obviously, Buddhist monks, they were not telling people adventure stories or superhero stories. But that really is the antecedent to this later medium that would be used for pulp action and superhero action. By the early 20th century, this tradition, it had been secularized and privatized. Kamishibai companies, they employed droves of writers and artists doing work made for hire. In particular... The illustrators had a grueling schedule. They would illustrate the panels that the storytellers would be using that were not actually mass-printed, but were all hand-painted, hand-painted by worker bee artists who would make bright, vivid images that enraptured crowds of children. And I'll admit that in this whole narrative, the actual storytellers presenting the thing, the actual writers who were coming up with the thing they actually seem to have, if not lucrative, but pretty good jobs. The artists, though, they seem to have absolutely punishing schedules, sometimes having to put out as many as 16 brightly colored panels per day. No one seems to have made a huge amount of money off of Kamishibai, but the artists, they definitely seemed to have put in the most work for the least amount of cash. And I kind of wonder what Warhol would have thought of lots and lots of artists laboring with their paintbrushes and inkbrushes, pumping out story panels meant for mass consumption on street corners. Something tells me that Andy Warhol, he of those garishly illustrated Campbell's soup cans, and the studio that he liked to call the factory, something tells me that he'd have maybe been kind of into it in an odd way. by Storytellers, they were ultimately the ones buying these panels and scripts, and it was up to them to make a profit off candy sales as they were relaying the story to the kids on the street corner. To draw in the maximum amount of eager candy-eating kids, kamishibai performers would often vary the styles of their tales. So they would usually begin with a comedic tale that would appeal to all audiences, and then a story designed to appeal to girls called shoujo, and then one for boys called shonen. Uh, personally, I think it's sort of weird to have types of sequential art and storytelling that are sort of gendered like this. If American comic shops were to put in titles like Rat Queens and Lumberjanes in a section called Girls Comics, that would be sort of off-putting. Not that I would stop buying those titles, mind you, because they're brilliant, but this shoujo shonen division persists in Japanese manga to this day. The Golden Bat, Ogan Bato. Uh, comes out of these shonen stories and was the creation of writer Ichiro Suzuki. No, not that Ichiro Suzuki, not the guy who played for the Mariners. And artist Takeo Nagamatsu. Suzuki was 25 when he created the Bat, and Nagamatsu was all of 16. And these young men made a figure who, again, I believe, is the world's first superhero. The Golden Bat, the single most popular character in all of Kamishibai, He was a skull-headed magical resident of Atlantis from 10,000 years in the future who fought with a Zorro-like rapier. He wore a cape and neck ruff that would do the Phantom of the Opera proud, and he had super strength, super speed, and he was invulnerable. His principal enemy was Nazo, the evil alien emperor of the universe, a villain who would have fit right in with anything that Marvel or DC would later publish. Nazo with his one red eye, one blue eye, his dark face, his donkey ears, well, he would look just fine next to Darkseid, Thanos, Galactus, or any of the rest of them. And I was able to read a few Golden Bat stories and other stories in a book called Manga Kamishibai by Eric P. Nash. And they are amazing. They are exactly what you would expect from early 20th century superhero and pulp action storytelling. The artwork is bright, it's over the top, and you get the impression that the creators, both the writers and the artists who made this work, they didn't care about genre conventions or rules because there weren't any genre conventions or rules. They were making them up as they went along. If they wanted their main character to be a guy from 10,000 years in the future, from Atlantis, sent back to present-day Japan to help defend the innocent, well, you get to have that when you create a genre. And the golden bat, he wasn't alone. Among other popular Kamishiba characters, there was Prince Gamma, a prince who disguised himself as a Japanese street urchin, and Golden Mask, a Flash Gordon-like character who wore a hawk mask, which was, well, gold. There were also countless stories about samurai, ninjas, cowboys, and other adventurers, all engaged in heroic acts of daring do that, like any good cereal, always ended in a cliffhanger. A good Kamishibai performer could be reliably found on the same street corner, with the same crowd of kids, selling the same candy and telling the same cereals again and again and again throughout the week like comic books in the united states kamishibai had its detractors in the united states friedrich wortham he worried about the morally corrupting influence of comic books in his book the seduction of the innocent in japan kamishibai critics worried about the effect that adventure stories had on kids they wrung their hands about child delinquency about kids running from school to go see the Kamishibai man on a street corner and tell his stories accompanied by pictures. They worried also about the effects of kids consuming too many sweets, and moralizers proclaimed that the vivid ink and paint illustrations that accompanied Kamishibai stories were too stimulating for young children. However, all that hand-wringing, all that moralizing, that went away during World War II. After the Japanese invasion of Manchuria, Kamishibai was retooled as a propaganda method. Adventure stories of superheroes, ninja, samurai, etc., they were replaced with tales of soldiers and glorification of the Japanese Empire, and what had been pop culture turned into an instrument of the state. This wasn't just in Japan, either. In conquered territories like Manchuria and Taiwan, Kamishibai replaced traditional puppetry and other local entertainments. Instead of the local folk entertainments that other East Asian countries had enjoyed, suddenly Japan imposed upon them Kamishibai storytellers, giving them propaganda tales of brave Japanese soldiers, all for the glory of the greater East Asian co-prosperity sphere. After the war, things changed, but Kamishibai was still used as a propaganda tool, this time by the occupying American forces. Under Douglas MacArthur, Japanese media was discouraged from showing anything too militaristic or too violent or even too Japanese. So the tales of samurais and ninjas, those were right out. Science fiction, that was okay. And kamishibai performers, they were encouraged to engage with new subject matter, such as baseball and democracy and other wholesome American values. Kamishibai declined in the mid 20th century after World War II. Television became more and more popular in Japan, and that is, of course, a more seamless blending of words and pictures. Instead of having a storyteller with pictures next to him, you have everything transpiring at the same time. It's worth noting, though, that the first televisions in Japan were displayed sort of like Kamishibai theaters. They were set up in public spaces for the benefit of whoever happened to be right there. So, if you were walking along a Japanese street in the late 1950s or early 1960s, you might have seen a television set up in an eager crowd, looking at whatever happened to be being broadcast at the moment. Television, because of this, was known as Denki Kamishibai, or Electric Kamishibai. And, even though it was named after the paper theater, it eventually superseded the paper theater's popularity. There are still Kamishibai performers in Japan, but nowadays it's considered something of an anachronism, and is no longer a real form of popular entertainment. And in the last few waning years of Kamishibai as a real piece of pop culture, as it struggled against television, unauthorized versions of The Lone Ranger and Batman, that is, the Adam West version, they ended up showing up on street corners. They ended up being the subjects of Kamishibai tales, but it was too little too late. Making cut-rate storyteller paper theater versions of the Lone Ranger and Batman did not save the medium that is, arguably, the antecedent to manga and therefore anime. Visual conventions in Kamishibai, such as large expressive cartoon eyes made to convey emotion, made their way into comics and cartoons. The Golden Bat, Bato, he was adapted to manga and also later on live-action movies, in particular one live-action movie in the early 1960s starring a very young Sonny Chiba. But eventually he and other Kamishiba heroes, such as Prince Gamma, such as the Golden Mask, they disappeared from popular culture. And now those Kamishiba heroes, they occupy a place of nostalgia in Japan, similar to the place that the Shadow and Zoro and the Green Hornet, similar to the one that they occupy in the West. They are beloved icons of a bygone time. Still, though, we live in a world that Kamishibai helped create, and that the Golden Bat helped create. After all, Kamishibai, it is words and pictures. It is comics. It is sequential art. It is performative comics. It's performative sequential art, but it is sequential art nonetheless. And comics, they are more popular than they ever have been before. Caped superheroes Norse gods from space, ironclad inventors, incredible hulks, batsmen. Sure, they all owe a lot to Superman. In a way, every single superhero is an embroidery and an elaboration on Superman. But I think they also owe maybe a little to that skull-headed resident of Atlantis from 10,000 years in the future a flamboyant hero who entertained children on Japanese street corners decades and decades ago, the Golden Bat, the star of a forgotten form of comics in a forgotten form of popular media and storytelling, and, I think, the first modern superhero that the world ever saw. Interesting times. We are recorded at the studios of X-Ray FM 91.1 and 107.1 in Portland, Oregon. Our engineer is Arthur Rosado, and this podcast is completely and totally and utterly funded by our generous, wonderful, attractive, interesting, intelligent, and otherwise superlative Patreon subscribers. If you would like to support the podcast, and I really hope you would like to support the podcast, please go to interestingtimespodcast.com, click on the thing where it says support interesting times on Patreon, and sign up for a recurring monthly, you know, support thing. That'd be great because that's all we got funding wise. Uh, we are on iTunes. Search for us in the iTunes store. When you search for us, give us five stars in the iTunes store. Also, after you give us five stars, write a review. That helps other people discover the show. We're also on Stitcher. I am on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. On Tumblr, joestreckert.tumblr.com. Facebook, facebook.com slash interestingtimeswithjoestreckert. Follow us, reblog us, tumble us, like us, all that. Thank you very much for listening. I will see you next week.